please open your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to take a slight break from our series in Thessalonians. Um, the next couple of weeks uh, we're going to talk about uh, what does it mean to build God's church. Um, as I said, uh, one of the things that we want to do is uh, make sure that we're looking after each other, uh, that we're encouraging and supporting each other as we serve. Um, and one of the things that we want to do is um, give people a chance to, um, yeah, evaluate uh, and review uh, the things that they do and their commitments. Uh, life changes and things happen. Um, and, hey, maybe you want to try something new. Um, so the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about what it means to uh, be church, what it means to serve in church and what that looks like. Um, and so we're going to do that for the next few weeks. Uh, and this morning we're looking at First Peter 2. If you don't uh, have a Bible, we can get one for you. Does anyone need a Bible? No? Yes? No? We're all good. Okay, First Peter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. Please follow along with me. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a ro holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once... You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the grand architect who has given us life and who builds us up day by day. And as we come to your word now, we ask that you would help us to see the grand design that you have given for us, your purpose in us and through us. And Father, I pray that you will speak, uh, that these would be your words and not mine, that it would be your truth and not merely my ideas. And so, Father, speak to us, we pray, through your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. What does it take to build a house? Well, you need money uh, to start with. You need somewhere to build it. Uh, you need a house plan. You need 
builders, and then uh, you can start to build a house. What would it take to build God's house? Well, money. Well, God's the God of the universe, so there's nothing to worry about there. Somewhere to build it. Well, I'm looking at where he will do that right now. And as for a plan, we have it right here in our hands. We have his building plans here. And the builders? Well, that's God himself. And God himself is going to build his own house. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to build or be part of building God's house, a place where God lives. So let's look at this. What, it, what does it take to build the body of Christ, the church? Uh, we're looking at Peter's letter here. Uh, and Peter's concerned about many things. Uh, but above all, he is concerned about the health and the future of the sons and daughters of God. He wants to encourage them despite the changing world around them. Uh, and so early on uh, in chapter 1, he gets straight to the point, uh, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Christians are called to live differently. Uh, from the world we live in. Uh, We're given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We see that in verse 3. Ransomed from this broken earthly life with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, Verse 19. Giving us faith and hope in a God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. And born again through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 23. And this word This message is the good news that was preached to you, verse 25. So we get to chapter 2 and Peter says, So, therefore, because of everything that God has done for you, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is Have you ever been to a restaurant and you've been disappointed by the food because your mum just makes it so much better? Yes? Or you've read an amazing book and they turn it into a movie and you go watch the movie and it's a complete flop. You ever felt that before? Or if you're a coffee snob like me, you won't drink instant because you've seen the light. You've had a taste of the good stuff, and now you just can't go back. If you've tasted the deliciousness of the good news of Jesus, you can't keep living the same way. Just tasting the goodness, the freedom found in the grace and mercy of Jesus. You can't keep living in sin. If you've tasted the overwhelming love of God. You can't keep trying to find satisfaction in other things. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you? 
Paul, Paul puts it a different way. Uh, if you go to Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul puts this slightly differently. Colossians chapter 3. Chapter 3, sorry. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, we're going through this series to talk about what it means to be church, what it means to do ministry and service. Um, And it's easy to get into the habit of ministry and service, uh, simply because it's the thing to do. It's the thing that you've been doing for so long. Small church, there's a lot to do. Uh, And so you do it. But there's a danger. And we shouldn't feel compelled or obligated to serve. Uh, We serve because of what Jesus has done for us. We serve because we have tasted that the Lord is good. Have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this means that you don't need to have your faith figured out. You've had a taste. It doesn't mean that you need to have all the right answers. You've, You've just had a taste. It means that you don't need to have life all worked out. Because it's just the beginning of a taste of how good God is. And when you've had a taste of something that is delicious and overwhelmingly satisfying, you want more. When you've had a taste of the delicious, juicy gospel burger that's in front of you, you want to take another bite. You want your fingers covered in the amazing secret spices of God's mercy, grace, and love. You've had a taste. You want to lick those spices off your fingers. And you want more. And so, as we live the Christian life, particularly as we look at how we can serve, how we can minister to other people, we do it because we've had a taste of how good God is. We've had a taste of the gospel. And we want more. Uh, Before we go on, uh, does anyone have any questions? All right, well, let's keep going. Yep. So we come to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, something happens. We become like Jesus. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Jesus himself is the living stone, the cornerstone, the foundation stone of this house. And we are being made like him, a living stone to be built up into a spiritual house. Now, when you build a house, there's a plethora of materials. There's a multitude of materials. There isn't just one brick or one sheet of plaster or one support beam. There's multiple pieces to building a house. There's hundreds of bricks. There's sheet after sheet of plasterboard. There's multiple lights that line the house and walls and windows. 
a house is not just made up of one thing. And so for us as Christians, you're not a loner. You're not alone, but you're a part of a community. You are a part of a fellowship of God's people. And as Christians, you're a building block. You're you're made like Jesus, a living stone in the house of God. And this house is the dwelling place of God. It is God's house here on earth. And so why does God build this house? Why does he want this house? We see that at the end of verse 5. To be a holy priest, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter uses this idea of priesthood, and it comes from the Old Testament. Uh, for us, most of us are like, what, what are priests? Why do we need them? What's going on here? But this is a picture that Paul, Peter uses from the Old Testament. He's a Jew, and so this is a very real uh, part of his history. Uh, and so he uses this picture. And the primary role of the priest was to offer sacrifices to God. Uh, and sacrifices are made for basically three things. Um, they're either a show of devotion and commitment. Uh, they're a, sh- uh, a display of thanksgiving. Um, or uh, it's demonstrating the need for forgiveness. So those are your three things when it comes to sacrifices. And in the Old Testament and in a lot of old... Uh, religions, sacrifices are physical. They're physical things. Uh, animals or food or other things. Um, but Peter makes a distinction here. These, we no longer make physical sacrifices, but spiritual ones. Turn with me to Romans 12. What does a spiritual sacrifice look like? Romans 12. Uh, verse 1. This is what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, like Peter, Paul sees this act of spiritual sacrifice or spiritual worship done in response to God's mercy. Right? We offer sacrifices in response to what God has done. He has given us Jesus, he has given us life, and he's given us life to the full. And in response to God's mercy, in response to his grace and love, we offer our bodies, our lives, if indeed we have tasted that the Lord is good. So what does all of this mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that we're a team. It means that as Christians, as you live the Christian life, you're not alone. Jesus' work of salvation in you is a personal work and you are saved by his grace and that is a personal act. But the ongoing work of being transformed into his likeness, being transformed into this living stone, happens in the context of community and fellowship. You're a part of God's people here and across the world and throughout time. You are part of God's people, God's spiritual house. And if you call this church home, then you're part of this little part of the body of Christ. And you don't do it alone. You don't go through life, you don't go through the Christian life, living out your faith alone. You don't need to live for God, serve God on your own. Uh, In other parts of his letter, Peter talks about being aliens and strangers in this world. But when you're in the house of God, you're not an alien, you're not a stranger. In the house of God. 
And that means that we look out for each other. It means that we encourage and we support each other. And if we're not doing that, then we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. Secondly, it means that we need to think about the motivations of how and why we serve God. Uh, Why do we serve God? How do we serve God? And this is one of the things that I want to look at uh, over these coming weeks. I want us to seriously think about the culture that we have when it comes to serving and doing ministry. What, why, and how. And in the end, it might look the same. But I want us to check and be clear that when we minister, when we serve one another, when we serve the body of Christ, when we serve this world of God, that we do it in response to what God has done. And we do it together. And we serve because we have tasted that the Lord is good. And so we respond to his grace, his mercy and his love with our lives. Look, you don't, you don't owe anything to the church. You don't owe anything to other people as much as they've done for you. And you don't owe anything to yourself. What you do owe is to God. He has saved you by the blood of Jesus in his mercy, in his grace and in his love. And so we offer our lives to him as living stones, as living sacrifices because of his grace. Any questions at this point? No. Let's keep going. So we see here, verse 4, Jesus was this living stone rejected by men. And so if you associate yourself with Jesus, you may find yourself being rejected as well. It's something we've talked about quite a bit lately. But, Check this out, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, listen to this, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. What's this honour? We have this Jesus who people reject and as we associate with him, we may find ourselves being rejected and shamed as well. But we read here that when we believe in him, we will not be put to shame, but instead we receive honour. And what is this honour? Jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so again, Peter uses this Old Testament picture. And this is, these words, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, were words that were used to describe the nation of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, says this, God speaking to the Israelites. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so in the Old Testament, God chose the people of Israel, the the descendants of Abraham, the, the Hebrew slaves of Egypt, a chosen race. 
He was their king and they were his royal representatives on earth, a royal priesthood. And he set them apart from other nations of the world. They were a holy nation and they were a people he would call his own. Now, if I said, Nespresso, what else? Who would you think of? Come on, don't don't flop on me here. Really? Oh man, that was a total flop. George Clooney, thank you. <laughs> Nespresso, George Clooney. Why he would? <laughs> don't tell me you just got that. Wow. Um, how he drinks the stuff, I have no idea. Uh, but for fifty million dollars a year, I probably would as well. Uh, Now, imagine, though, if George Clooney suddenly decides to go down to Aldi, grab one of the Expressy capsule coffees there, and start ranting about it on social media, I'm pretty sure that Nespresso would drop in pretty quickly. Israel was meant to be God's endorsement. Uh, They were to be a light to the nation so that they might proclaim the excellencies of him to the nations, uh, who called them out of darkness, slavery in Egypt, into his marvellous light. But they failed. They failed to be a light for the nations. And if you for a moment begin to start thinking about that and you expect that you're going to live out the Christian life on your own, that you're going to be this light to the nations, you're going to proclaim the excellencies of God on your own, then like Israel, you're likely to fail. But fortunately, we're not left on our own. Because we have Jesus, who is our cornerstone. He is our rock. He is our foundation. And we're not going to get dropped from this gospel endorsement deal with God. Because Jesus is with us. And so when we seek to serve God, when we seek to minister to people, our ministry and our service is an endorsement of God. It is an endorsement of the good news of the gospel. Christians are, as Peter says here, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So whether you're opening the door for someone, whether you're hitting the keys on the keyboard to make sure the song slides are coming up right, whether you're up the front here with the music team, whether you're teaching the kids out in Sunday school, whether you go to work each day, whether you're studying, whether you're looking after kids at home, whether you're catching up with friends over coffee or a meal, even if you're peeling potatoes and cleaning the toilet, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We are called the light of the world. And through our ministry and service to this world, we say to them, life with Jesus. What else? What else is there? As we move forward together, as we work together to build God's house, the body of Christ, we're not building a physical church. Yes, these bricks and lights and walls and panels are beautiful. 
and we enjoy them week to week. You might like, might not like the paint scheme. We can always change that. But we are blessed to have this place. But this is not what it's all about. This is just a physical building. God is interested in building a spiritual house, not one confined by these walls. Our ministry and service is not simply confined to the things that we do here at church. The Christian life impacts everything that we do and our ministry and service extends that far as well. Our ministry and service incorporates all of life, every day of the week, whether it's at home, school, work, play, and anywhere that God might take us. And so the rest of the week is not divorced from the church. But it all starts with Jesus. Have you tasted the goodness of Jesus? Have you glimpsed the grace and the mercy and the love that he demonstrates through his life, death and resurrection? This Let this be your driving motivation to serve God, to serve the church and serve the people. If you've had a taste, dig in. Take a deeper bite, a bigger bite and discover how good Jesus really is. And if you haven't, do you want to? If you haven't tasted, if you don't know how good Jesus is, do you want to know? Do you want to know why we do what we do? Talk to someone. Talk to me, talk to anyone here that you know uh, who trusts in Jesus. We serve in response to what Jesus has done because we've tasted how good and faithful he is. Secondly, remember that you're part of the team. Uh, You're not alone. As you go out into the world or whether you're serving here at church, you always have a place. Think of it like a home base that you can come back to, be recharged, be encouraged, be supported and be refreshed to go back out into whatever God's called you to do. Whether that's back into home, into your studies, into work. When you're stressed and tired, this is the place where you come back to to be recharged and to be refreshed. This is a place for you as part of this team, as part of God's team, to be encouraged. And lastly, ministry and service is done for the glory of God, not for yourself, not for others, and not for the church. It's done for Jesus. Uh, We want to endorse Jesus to the world around us, not ourselves, not the church, but Jesus. So what does it take? What does it take to build God's house? Well, it takes people who have tasted how good Jesus is who are brought together by God in his grace, his mercy and his love to be building blocks of his house, his home, to proclaim the gospel, the good news to the world. That's what it will take. And so as you think about uh, ministry, as you think about serving at church, that will happen in November. Um, Keep these things in mind. Don't simply do things because you feel that there's a need. Don't simply do things because you feel like no one else will do them. Do them because you've tasted how good God is and you want to serve. Do things because you recognize that you're not alone. You are part of a team that works together to build up God's house.
And if you're tired and need the break, that's fine. Because that's why we're here. We're not here to just keep giving. Instead, first and foremost, Jesus gives to us grace, mercy and love. And we're here to do it for him. Not, not for yourself. Not for this church. You don't owe anyone anything. And so when we come to that, uh, keep these things in mind. And let's see what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for what you have done in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, we get a glimpse, we get a taste of how good and faithful you are and how good your gospel, how good your news is for the world around us. Help us as we continue to be your church. Help us as we continue to be the body of Christ uh, to do that in response to what you have done. Give us the strength, give us the resources, give us all that we need to do that. And help us to, uh, to take the time to uh, think through with you what it means to give our lives as living sacrifices, as living stones in the, in the house of God. So Father, we commit these things to you, we commit ourselves to you and we ask that you will continue to be glorified, that your that you might be proclaimed in everything that we do. And so we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.